Tonight I want to talk about works won't work. <laughs> How about that? We're in God. We're in the series that we're that uh, we're going to be doing in uh, over the next several months on God's love letters to the church, and we're in the book of Romans. So if you'd like to turn there, uh, Romans. What is that? I I erased something. I think it's Romans two that we're in. Now, what do I mean by works won't work? Because that's kind of a tricky, tricky thing in some ways. You're, you're, it's just sort of like, does that mean let's just sit around and smoke a hookah and not do anything? <laughs> like, I you know, I, I just like peace, chill. Like, <laughs> so, but think about it. Think about it as far as. <clears throat> It can't, you know, what I'm, I'm not talking about is that works are useless completely um, because in James it talks about the fact that faith without works is dead. So that's, that's not where we're going with this. But what I'm talking about is the thing that I struggle with and I think, and, and every human being that I've ever met struggles with, which is the battle of trying to earn how God thinks about us, how God feels about us, whether we're valuable or not, whether we're lovable or not, by doing works. And this particular section of Romans, because the whole theme of Romans, Romans is sort of, when you think about love letters, Romans really is kind of the letter that's more for new love. You know, it it is the, the introduction to what God's love is about and to what God's grace is about. So the whole theme through Romans is this theme, grace works, grace works. But this particular section that we're going to be talking about kind of really underscores the futility of why all of the efforts that we want to put in towards earning God's love are, are just not going to work and make us miserable and be agonizing and um, and everything else. So we're going to look at Romans 2 in verse 17. Now this is kind of an interesting thing now because you have to kind of um, set the stage for what things were looking like back in the book of Romans. Back in the book of Romans, uh, when it was written, all of the Christians for the whole beginning of the Christian church were all Jews. They weren't Gentiles. Many of us... come from Gentile nations, which is anything but somebody that was born a Jew. Now, the Jews at this point were, you know, worshiping the real God. You know, they weren't like the Gentiles were worshiping all kinds of wacky things. They were, you know, worshiping giant penises. They were worshiping, you know, fertility gods, goddesses, you know, all just... You know, they were sacrificing their children. The Gentiles weren't looking so good, you know what I mean, as far as where they were at. They were, and so the Jews in, you know, kind of came to regard because they got, they were, they were the only ones that believed in one God. Everybody else was believing that there were many gods. And because of the way that the Gentiles behaved, the Jews were like, ugh, like, they're disgusting. And it was really, so Jesus came. And people got saved and were excited about the fact that it was that it, Jesus paid the price and that it was by grace, and they were really on fire about it. But it was really hard for them to get 
the Gentiles could be, could be saved too because they were just despicable, disgusting people. So if you, if you look at the setting of the time when we're reading this, Jews were sort of like, they were the established church or religion at the time, the superior religion, you know, if you want to, you know, and so in, in a way, I mean, I say that because that's how they thought of themselves too. And so God addresses um, kind of, you know, the, the fact that by the time that they got to this place, um, they kind of, they really thought that they had it all together in a way, that they were superior because of their religion. So I, I say this because I was thinking about it, the parallels here, because this section of scripture identifies people feeling self-righteous by their religion and, and by thinking that they were doing all the right things. And, you know, um, and Jesus wasn't, didn't like that. I mean, like, a whole lot. Like, if you hear about how Jesus talked, it was like the opposite of what Jesus talked about. Now, the law, in the Old Testament, the law was never a bad thing. The law was how you should live life. The law of the Old Testament explained how to live life well. You know, don't steal and don't commit adultery and things like that that would be good things to live your life by. But, and it was never an expectation in the Old Testament that people could actually keep the whole law. I think people started relating to it in the way of going, well, we're, we're Jews, we believe in the law, so we're better than everybody else. Now, what this, I say that because if you look in Romans 2 and verse 17, I was thinking about this, because what... What this reminds me of is how Christianity is today in many ways. Not all of Christianity or all Christians, but there's a, definitely a lot of Christians that relate to a sense of superiority for being Christian. That are like, we're Christian, we have the best religion, and you poor pitiful other people. So if you just sort of think about it, it's, it's really the same idea if you think about it. Um, is what, because really the Jews at that time, were, they were worshiping what we believe is the real God. You know, this is like what we're all of us, same God, right? So uh, for me, it helps the scriptures come alive in Romans and relate to what kind of our world and our, you know, environment. In Romans 2 verse 17, it says, Now you, if you call yourself, it says a Jew... And if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship with God, if you know, you know, okay, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you're instructed by the law. Now, what if we change this to, now you, if you call yourself a Christian and you rely on the law or, and guess how most people relate to the Bible? The law. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like the Bible is also not intended to be you know, a book that is written like the Bible, well, the law was, the Old Testament is most of the Bible anyway. So all we're doing is adding a few more chapters in it. So it might as well, we might as well put the Bible because it's, you know. So now if you, if you call yourself a Christian and you rely on the Bible and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you were instructed by the law, if you're convinced that you are a guide for the blind 
a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have the Bible, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? <laughs> you who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. I'm telling, don't we see this played out a lot? Where you see people, the way that the church, I'm telling you, it's, the same de- it's exactly the same thing. Is that where the, when the church gets to the place that they say that they're relating to the Bible is law and we're superior because that's our religion and everybody else is crap. You know, and, and pulling that kind of rank and, not, and looking at it as if we do all the law and you poor people don't. It's, it's the same thing. You know, it's saying, it, it's kind of funny because it's saying God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles, among the non-Christians because of you. God looks like he's an idiot because of, you're acting this way. It, I mean, it says... In verse 25, circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as if they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically yet obeys the law will condemn you. You who even though you have the written code and the circumcision are a lawbreaker. Because here's what was happening, and this is what... What was happening, circumcision, was a symbol that they, were, that they were good Jews and following the laws, you know. So what God's saying is that they wound up getting so caught up in the external things that kept appearances up and not what was really going on. So here they're doing the things like, okay, let's do a little clippy-clippy, and so we're superior. <laughs> no, really, no, the thing is, is like they were seriously feeling like they were better than other people over circumcision, Does that sound ridiculous? It sounds ridiculous that somehow, but yet on the same token, they were hiding all all the garbage as far as their lives go. They were pretending that their lives were something other than what they were. When we start relating to God or the Bible or anything like that in a way that we're looking at it as a way of earning God's love, there's no other option than to front there really isn't. The only, the, the only option is let's just play it off and act like we're fine when things are not fine. It doesn't work. And when, when you do, because that's what God's saying is if you are saying, oh, we've got the answers, we're the superior religion, we're better than everybody else, God's saying there are people that aren't even Christians that are living those things that are making fools out of you. They're doing people that don't believe in God. That's what he's saying because the Gentiles didn't believe in in God. They were worshiping, you know, dogs and cats and all kinds. You know what I'm saying? He's saying if they're believing in good things, they're behaving in a way that's good. It says, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, they're living a good life, basically. You know, won't they be regarded as if they were circumcised? Now, God's saying this about people that don't even believe in him. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Um, that's why, it ha- doesn't it help to put it in the perspective that that's what this is? Otherwise, we're looking at the Bible going, oh, look at these other people. <laughs> that is really messed up that they're like that. Do you know what I mean? And then we don't get it. It doesn't like really live as far as what's going on, but this is really relevant because we still struggle with it all the time. God's comparing the people that believe in him, the true God, with people that believe in other, you know, multi-gods and all of that, and going, they're doing better than you guys are that are full of your self-righteousness because you just, you're not even in dealing in reality here. It says, um, and then it says in verse um, 28, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. You're not fooling God any. Jesus talked about the Pharisees, who were the big muckety-muck religious people, and he said, you're like, he was nasty about it. He said, you're like whited sepulchers. You're so nice and shiny clean on the outside. Oh, you just look like goody goodies, don't you? But inside, you just got rotten bones. Rotten bones. We... Any time you evaluate how, like, trying to earn God's love, earn God's favor, you've got to establish some kind of who's better than whom. You know, so where's the line? Where do we draw the line? Usually, whatever it takes to get us over it, you know, like, usually. I mean, actually, you know what? It kind of swings from one extreme to the other. Everybody, if you're trying to live life where you're trying to feel your worth or your value, especially your worth to God, by what you do and how you live, I'm a good person. Why do you care? I don't, you know what? I don't care about being a a, a good person. I really don't. I want to be a loved person. You know, because if I think of myself as being a good person, I'm... I'm just like one of the hypocrites that's judging others. Because who are the bad people then? Do you know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, I'm putting myself in a posture that I'm superior and I'm fine and I don't have the problems and everybody else, you know, does. And usually, it's like we have do one, one of two things. We either put the bar where whatever we're doing is okay. Whatever, we make up the rules, you know, of what's okay and not okay. And it's according to how we live. Um... Or we do the other thing where we kind of get that we don't measure up, we hide things, we lie, and feel like crap inside. And feel like we're fooling everybody and faking everybody out. So the law, no, there is no good option here that f- makes you feel good. If you've ever tried to make yourself feel good by f- being superior, which is at all of us, right? We've all done that. Does it really make you feel good? It doesn't. Because a part of you inside is going, you're lying. You're not all that. And plus, you know that it's kind of dark and evil to think that way anyway. Doesn't, there's no peace in it. It's not what God designed. And then, so it's kind of simple. I mean, obviously, circumcision isn't something that's the outward manifestation anymore of religion. But what would you say the outward manifestations of being a good Christian are 
these days? Going to church? I go to church every Sunday. Wednesday. I give my tithe. I serve. I put away the chairs or, you know, I don't know. Whatever. So it's, but if we don't want to be caught up in a religion or a faith that's about trying to make things look a certain way, that it's just about fronting and it's all about, if there's no healing in it. There's no healing in that for anybody. We really want to be in a place that we get it, which is where we're going to go with all of this. And if we keep reading, um, in chapter 3, actually, I'm going to skip because um, there's, uh, to there's just a lot, and it sort of um, repeats. Uh, but we're gonna, I want to go hit, uh, in Romans 3 and verse 9, it says, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Now, this is seriously talking about the people that believe in God versus the people that aren't. Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Both. Whether you believe in God, you don't believe in God. Guess where we all are? Sin. Yeah. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is an Old Testament quote, but it's basically what we were talking about before is that nobody can really stand and say, I'm, I'm good, all by themselves. Uh, in verse 19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. So the whole point of the law was, is not so that you can say you do it and you're so perfect and so better and superior. It's... it's it is the way to live, but it's relating to it with the reality that all, that all fall, sh fall short. And it says, um, whole world, may, uh, let's see. And in verse 20, it says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. There's no such thing. You cannot get that. It's just not, there's an, it's impossible. All you're going to do is lie to yourself if that's what you're trying for. That's the only other option is lying to yourself if that's, if, you know. Um, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. That's the honest way to look at the law. The only, do you know what I'm saying? The only non, um, you know, um, what am I, self-deceiving way to look at, look at the whole law is that we are aware of the places that we fall short. In verse 21, it says, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the, the, there's only one place to get to, get to feel righteous really, truly, it's by saying, 
it's by getting to the place that you get that you are screwed up. And we're all in it together. There's no better. There's no pecking order. It's just we're all in. Get in the sinner's boat. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was thinking about that, and I just kept thinking through it. Uh, I was thinking of subtitle. Just get in the sinner's boat. <laughs> just jump aboard. Join in. You know? It's just sort of like, because it's, it's all have sinned. It says, there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short. So there's no way to get there that way. But the righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And it says, it says, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him to be a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So let me kind of walk through what we just read there because it's saying, now it's kind of interesting because God handled the problem of our sin and shortcomings in a way that's legal and just and trustworthy. He didn't, and, and it is in the fact that Jesus Christ actually paid the price for everything that we fell short of. His life literally paid the price. Again, it's very similar. I really love, did you ever watch the movie Double, Double Jeopardy? Wasn't it Double Jeopardy? Yeah, yeah. Was that what it was called? So what it, there, was a, there was this movie that basically she's, um, she gets condemned to death, you know, for, um, for committing murder. I didn't actually watch the movie, but I, and, but I heard. No, no. Okay, okay. Sorry, sorry. But it's the idea that works here because the thing is, is that so she's, once you pay the penalty, you can go free. And so what God did with Jesus Christ is he paid the penalty for all of us. The life of Jesus Christ, truly, Jesus Christ said, I get that you're guilty. I get that. But I'm going to step in and take your pay, place and pay for this. Like Jesus Christ, literally, he just, and innocent, he deserved none of it. He deserved nothing that he went through at all. But he stepped in and said, I will pay for that. And so it is truly that by his blood, it's free that we are washed and cleansed. And it's in, it, it softens your heart when you relate to that. It softens your heart to you and getting, uh, receiving God's love that's unconditional. It feels amazing to have that kind of unconditional love. It's, I'm telling you, when we've talked about it last week too. It's the one love that fills the black hole. It's completely unconditional. It doesn't go anywhere. It's, you know, you don't have to earn it. It's there whether you're better or not good or whatever. And the thing is, is that it comes like, it comes to you not like in whatever your lowest times are, whatever your worst things are. You know, it's kind of interesting because I think once, for me, like being a Christian uh, for so long, my life was really bad before. 
But see, I've lived a decent life compared, well, way comparatively. Jeez, Louise, talk about a big difference, you know. <laughs> so you get kind of fooled sometimes because you're kind of going, I'm, a, I'm pretty good. You know, I'm doing nice things. You know, I, you know, I've put away my awful lying habit. I've put away my committing adultery and cheating habit and being out of control with sex and all of these really disgusting, horrible things that I did. And so I, I'm pretty good. So then what happens is you start thinking, oh, I think that's why God loves me. Do you know? Like, I'm sure. I'm just so lovable just the way that I am. And then guess what happens? Because I've, I've been there. It doesn't feel good either. Then you start comparing yourself and just going, well, I'm sure doing better than these other people. <laughs> Man, you know. And it's just sort of like you harden your heart. You ignore the stuff in your own life. You don't allow love in. You don't allow grace in. You know, it's not a fun place to live. We want to be in the place that we get it, that, that we are all in the same boat on this. You know, God loved me and reached for me and fought for me when I was that really nasty, gnarly person. It's not like I was a nice church-going girl and God goes, oh, I, I like that. I like that. You're going to church. You're reading your Bible. Yeah, uh, you can come on in. You know, you can, you can belong to me now. That's, come on, guys. When he reached for you, when was that? You know? Uh, I'm telling you, that's when Jesus Christ stepped in. So it's, it's justified freely by his grace through the redemption. The redemption is payment. We literally were paid for by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate that he's doing it justly. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Meaning, it's not like he's stupid that people didn't sin in the Old Testament. He, he got that. You know, but he was saying, okay, I didn't, I did, they, they, that was bad. We didn't punish that. But this is the thing that really heals people's hearts is, is where there's something that takes care of the sin. That's where we really f- experience freedom. That's where we experience love. Uh, and, and there's just incredible, incredible healing in that. It says in verse 27. Oh, wait. Yeah, we did that. Uh, in verse 27, where, is, where then is boasting? Eh, it's excluded. Nope. You know, it's, it's like, sorry, you'll have to live without that. You know, but I'm telling you again, we've talked about it doesn't feel good anyway. If that's how you're making yourself feel good, it's, it's not a blessing. Um, on what principle? On that, obs- on that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? They were having a hard time with this. Yes, of the Gentiles too. Guess what this is saying, guys? God's not just the God of the Christians. He isn't. God's everybody's God. I'm sorry. It's like God's relating to everyone as being people that he loves and is for and is fighting for. Because God reaches out and loves people before they come to church and before they believe. It's not first you come to church and then he decides to love you. Do you see what I mean? 
that's what, do you, because when he's saying Gentiles, he's talking about people that don't believe in God at this point. Does that make sense? Yes, of the Gentiles too, since there's only one God. There's only, there is. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. It's just receiving the gift, the free gift of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to pay the price for everybody. It's available for everybody. There is no, God, God is not only coming and reaching some gr- groups of people. And Jesus Christ didn't lay down his life just for people in the Western world or something. Or actually what's bizarre is because they were all... Um, you know, in the Middle East to begin with anyway. But uh, somehow we kind of get this idea, you know, nowadays that uh, Christianity is some Western religion. Um, it says, since there's only one... Okay, we got there. Never mind. Verse 31. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? No, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So the thing is, is we're not trying to say... There's nothing wrong with the law. Because that's the other option. It's just going, well, the standard's bad. It's too high. That was ridiculous. The point is, is that everything in the law is great stuff to do for life and for godliness, and we'll read about that later. <clears throat> but it's not. There's nothing, nothing that you can do to make God love you any more. And there's nothing you can do to have God love you any less. It's just, you know, we want to just get to the place that we receive it. Sometimes, for me, it, it helps me in my prayer life to come, you know, I, I, for me, I, I need to kneel. I just do. Because it, it helps me to, get, to submit myself to God Almighty and to be in his presence. But when I do, I think about it. Sometimes it depends. Sometimes I think about it as being at the feet of Jesus. And sometimes I think about it as just being in the presence of God. And I like to bring my crap. Just be there. Be, sometimes experience being in the presence of God. Bring your crap. Be seen. Allow yourself. He's, you're seen anyway. But sometimes we really need to experience being seen by God in the dark places. And being in his presence and allowing yourself to get that he's there. That he loves you in that. Because otherwise, what, sometimes we try and front with God even in our prayer lives, Right? Oh, we won't bring the dirty stuff in. Really? Like, you're fooling him? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's healing in that. There is incredible healing in just allowing yourselves to experience his love and his grace when you get rid of trying to earn it or deserve it and just taste his goodness, taste his love, experience being in the presence of him. I'm telling you, it sets you free. It softens your heart. It... It feels great, you know, and, and it also so, just softens your heart towards other people, too. And plus, how much does that help you get that God is for you? It really helps me to get, wait, he wants to answer my prayers? Because half the time, you know what gets in my way of answering the prayers is feeling undeserving. Like, I sit there, I'm struggling right now with the whole thing I was thinking about you know, our, our house situation, and, you know, and I was just going, oh, I feel terrible, and I feel stupid, and why would God want to answer my prayer, and I'm like, wow, wait, he wants to answer my prayer because he loves me. 
I'm, I'm having a hard time because every time I think about where I'm falling short, but guess what I'm doing? I'm trying to earn it instead of just getting weight. God cares about me in spite of my stupidity, in spite of the mistakes that I've made, in spite of my ego, in spite of my self-centeredness or, you know, whatever, you know, in in spite of my stubbornness or self-reliance or whatever, it helps me to get that he wants to answer my prayer and be there for me, that it's not, that it's not like, he's like, I'm not listening to you today. You've let me down. That's not how he relates. You know, all have sinned, it says. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But there's a different righteousness. And I'm telling you, Jesus Christ's life is a high enough price to pay for you. There doesn't need to be any more payment here, guys. The highest price that ever was paid was paid for you and for me. You don't have to keep trying to pay. It's been done. His blood cleansed you from unrighteousness from all the places that you fall short so amen let's pray heavenly father um gosh i'm i'm so blessed i feel i do i do get that you are for us and um i marvel all the time at how you fought for me when I was the, just as undeserving as undeserving could be and in my darkest, most humiliating, embarrassing, and shameful moments and in the places that I felt despicable and despised and disgusted with my own self. Um, I wasn't too disgusting for you, Lord. Uh, you were there and present and fighting for me. And there was nothing as dark as I could get that would make you run away from me and avoid me. And, but in that, and in your love and in, in your grace, um, you have continued to, to transform me and continue to do that. I'm so thankful that you do that for each and every one of us and that none of us has committed a sin that's too big that your blood doesn't wash away, Lord. Um, I'm thankful that you love us unconditionally like that and that we can really be free in that. So I lift this time to you. I also lift um, the offering. Um, I feel thankful that you promise in your word that you will provide for us that, and that you have even given us a way to walk out in faith and trusting you by giving, that we can demonstrate that, that we are trusting in you for providing for our needs and not in ourselves. So um, God, I just, I love the fact that you say to prove you uh, in this department and that you won't let us down. So I just pray right now for this offering that, that our hearts are in a place of honoring you and in worshiping you and that you multiply back just like your, like your word says and you promise back to those that give to take care of their every need. And so I lift these things to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.